Last week's was rubbish anyway. This week on the reverse stick, Mark Egnog joins us to give us the lowdown on the collegiate lockdown in the US of A. And we've got some other stuff as well, don't we, Matt? Mm, apparently. Greetings and welcome to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey H- Higher energy than last week. Was it? Yeah. Was it low energy last yeah, week? very low energy uh, last week. Oh, well, give it a whack. <laughs> You're here with the Global Hockey Podcast. We are the Reverse Stick. And I'm pleased to have joined me tonight on this podcast, my esteemed co-host, Mr. Matt Allen. Well, John, what a thrill it is to be here tonight with episode 167 of the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. It's great to know that tonight we'll be right back here at home in the US of A because we've got one of our own on tonight. It's Mark Agner. He's from Ireland, America. Sure is, John. He's from... <laughs> we nearly got there. Uh, welcome, folks, to episode 167 of the Reverse Stick. Hashtag low high five, just for the kids. Give it a whack. My name's Give it a- John oh, do you see Wade. I changed the... Uh, uh, hi, hi, folks. Do you see I I changed the the Twitter um, head, of, head of picture and the Facebook head of picture, picture this week? What are they? It says, give it a whack. Oh, yeah, I did see the give it a whack thing. You can, yeah. No, you can follow us on the social media, John. Twitter, can Facebook, <laughs> and Instagram, all at the reverse stick. Hope you are at home, too. Mm. Some good chat coming up tonight, John. Yes, we will oh, be... Oh, no, sorry, oh. Did, did I say tonight? I meant this morning. This afternoon? That's right, that's what I meant. Later on. When it, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in the world, whatever time it is, thanks for listening to the reverse stick. Um, yes, we have had a couple of beers. Uh, at the request of Tansy, um, one of our fine Patreons. You can be a Patreon too and request things like Tansy has. Uh, just head to patreon.com forward slash... someone requests us to stop doing this? No, no, this. And this is important. I'll do this. Patreon.com okay. forward slash the reverse stick. Can I have another beer? Yeah, you can. Thank you. you well, let's get on with the show. Well, we're here. We're here. We've got a great... Look, folks. <sighs> Friday night record this week. Um, I've had a tough Big week. week. I've, had, I've had a long week. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long week. I've actually been working. Hang on. Oh, yeah, where's back. the? Uh, um been a big week yeah i've worked today as well been out on the mm-hmm. road had a had a tough day had a great chat about an hour ago with uh mark egner that's coming up it started two hours ago Actually, we had a started long, two and a half hours we had ago. A long chat. So we've had a good we've had good fun I had a big <laughs> week with hockey good. as well i played ho- a walking hockey on monday tuesday night masters fast fives yeah Thursday night, family sevens. Yep. And now I'm here on a Friday night with you. It's been a hockey-filled week, and I've enjoyed every second of it, John. Good stuff. What are we going to talk about tonight, mate? Um, I don't know. We, we're definitely going to have to... Well, first of all, let's start with this. Oh, that was pretty poor. That's See, that's it, how no, organised no, I am. No, let's, no, let's start with this. There was only one hockey result over the weekend, John. It was Old Georgians men's t- 10, Oxted 6, 
covered by Galvanised and streamed live. You could have got the links for that if you'd have followed at the Hockey Live, hashtag Livestream Hockey. 10-6. I think Oxted was 6-4 up at one point um, on, on following the goals. Incredible game. Who needs a short format with lots of goals, John, when you've got an 11-side format delivering sensational outcomes like that. 10-6 no, in, t- in a top-grade game. No, that's, that's great. It would have been interesting. I mean, Interesting. I'd, no, well, no exciting, enthralling. Interesting is not the word you're looking for. I don't necessarily... Um, no, I know, equate, I know, I know. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I know. And that's great. It would <laughs> be an interesting game. Yeah, nil-nil can be a great game of hockey, but 10-6. Excitement. The fans... Yeah. Oh, no, don't doubt. It's the great. online it's fans fantastic. loved it. Brilliant. Well, uh, did one team lead 10 nil and then concede 6? No, no. Oxted was 6. I think they were 6-4 up. Six it, was, four. it was it was kind of goal for goal. Um, oh, went to 4-4 four, four or yeah. whatever. And then Oxted, I think, went 6-4 up. And then old Georgians, ka-ching. Um, no time to go and get a toasted sandwich in a game like that, mate, is there? Mate, it's a, no, 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 there's no, there's no toasted sandwich there, it's a, a brie focaccia or something like that, it's a, oh no, camembert brioche or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. No, surely they Oh, Georgians, come on. Ka-ching! Oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. I look forward to the Twitter from old Georgians. I'm looking forward to the invite to go and do a show live from their club rooms. Oh, come really? On, come on, boys, get us in. Surely there's some uh, insurance guys over there can afford to <laughs> chuck us on a plane, put us up in a room for two weeks, and buy some new clothes. The quarantine. The, the lot. They've got dripping in it. Is absolutely that, absolutely is that the dripping. Only ga- is that the only hockey that went on? No, there was lots of games. No, hang on. No, there weren't lots of games going on. There are still games going on in England. There are some live streams coming up this weekend. Um, well, Germany and England. We're posting those on the Hockey Live. Uh, English games up this weekend. East Grinstead, Doublehead is there when they play Beeston and Uni of Birmingham on the U- on the YouTube channel. Um, and Beeston also hosts Wimbledon, the women's pram. So there's, there's stuff happening on live streams there. But, Belgium is on a lockdown till the 19th of November. Hooft class is locked down. Ireland are locked down. Davy Hart's very upset about the Dutch government's view that uh, hockey is an amateur sport there. And that's feelings being felt around and about Europe for those leagues that can't play. Well, um, yeah, I, we've discussed this before. I mean... It should be a one-size-fits-all, shouldn't it, as far as these sorts of things go? I would think what's good for one person is... Or one sport. One sport should be good for any sport, but, you know, don't know the intricacies of it. Unfortunately, but... No, you're but, talking no, about but, the broader... Uh, no, no, uh, but, the hockey no. argument of where the hockey is a professional sport. Uh, yeah, no, it's... it's, it's there's frustration. In comparison no. to the real, there are certainly people being played, paid to play in Dutch hockey, but in comparison to the sports that they do consider professional, they're amateurs on the basis of what they get paid. Just that. But it's objective towards the individual yeah. government, government or government departments that are making so, these decisions. Exactly. There would be a cut, there, there would be a cutoff line underneath which, or if you only make this much money, you know, how much, yeah, it's it, well, you think that's what it, the, the decisions are made on us? What, yeah, the, what, how, do you what, say, how else what do you think they make them? I don't know. 
How, how do you define Part- well, participation? And and there's a uh, a pyramid no, no, for no, the no, sport. No, 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 no. We're t- we're we're talking about professional, Matt. It's being paid to play. Is it about influence within government corridors or oh, association no, as corridors? As, as much as it is about how many zeros are on the end of the check. Silence. We'll, we'll leave that there for you to contemplate, folks. Oh, okay. You are listening to the reverse stick, the global hockey. The hockey club. Have we got the Tommy Alexander sting to play in this evening? Uh, I, I don't you, know, but you, what we do have is the Mark Egner interview. Do you want to get straight into that? Well, we should because it's about 50 minutes long. So, um, Could I, I'll share my social media fan of the week first. Well, how about how about we do our stuff first, and then we'll play the Mark Egner, and then come back at the very end and say bye. We'll play. We'll, uh, we'll come back and say bye, and then add a few bits in just to tick off on the list. Can have some relevant hockey things well, to talk about this week. We're a weekly global no, hockey podcast. Do that first, and then finish. Finish with Mark. Let's do a bit of it, and then do a bit of Mark, and then do all of Mark, and then come back at the okay. end. Okay. Will you do some bits? Um, social media fail of the week for me. Social, okay. Do you want to do a jingle? Social media fail of the week. It was up for about 45 minutes on the reverse stick Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, the latest family summer hockey fixtures for Freya Hockey Club. Apologies uh-huh. for that. <laughs> Got a bit confused on my posting. Um uh, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Happens sometimes. That's what happens when you get access to too many accounts, John. How many do you have? <laughs> lots. <laughs> Just putting it out there. I mean, look, there's lots of people do. You know, we'll mention somebody later on in the show that quite often posts for for future sports. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, um, Mister Mr. Batra wishes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Great, great to see that it's uh, National Police Commemorative Week this week uh, on the Mister. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dr. Batra Facebook page. Very worthwhile. And uh, a couple of festivals and some happy birthday wishes. That's uh, good to catch up with that. Uh, something I didn't know, John, only found out because I didn't read the sports news back in July. Well, the, the youth... goals go at the back of the line. No, oh, that's another story. <laughs> youth Olympic Games in Dakar 2022 has been postponed until 2026. Uh, okay. Missed that totally. But uh, well, I suppose it helps with the planning, doesn't it? <laughs> but what was a specific? Was a specific? It's COVID reason? related, and it's too hard, Doctor um, Dr. Thomas Batra. Uh, Doctor Mister Bark. Sorry, yeah, Doctor Thomas Bark um, said it's going to be. Is too- it, he's a he's a Mister Doctor Bark or a Doctor. It depends in which environment. He's got a lot more Doctor Misters than Mister Doctor has. I'll tell you now. A lot more. Um, Can he hang a because they can't? The IOC can't organise. Three events in five years, so they've put it on another four years later to uh, Senegal, isn't it? Is it Dakar, Senegal? Dakar, Dakar, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really interesting thing to do, isn't it, in the current environment? Well, they've postponed Tokyo by a year, but they postponed Dakar Youth Olympic Games <laughs> by five years. That's about four years. Well, that's what? Considering that they're actually due... To thank take... God for COVID! We can actually postpone this and not incur the expense of this totally useless <laughs> exercise. Well, it's just... Because it's not due to be held until after they're thinking they'll be no, able to no, hold the Olympic no, Games. No, precisely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's... Huh? 
That's that's quite baffling. Apparently, what uh, does that say about the future of the Olympic Games? It says money's a bit tight there at the moment. <laughs> Let's put things up as long as we can. I got one. Well, might make some sense of this. Um, the FIH has approved a new, or uh, has approved the reviewed gender equality policy. Well, that's Matt. good. That's good, John. Came out on October twenty second on the FIH website. This particular release uh, from Lazard, of course. Meeting today via online conference. You'd be pleased with that, mate. Must have been the working day in the office this uh, week. Under the chairmanship of FIH President uh, Doc, Mr. Doctor Narinda Dhruv Batra, the executive board of the International Hockey Federation ratified the reviewed. FIH gender equality policy has been reviewed. The review has been conducted by the FIH Women in Sports Committee, chaired by FIH Executive Board Member Marika and European Fleuren. Hockey Federation President <clears throat> Marika, uh, who is also a member of the IOC Women in Sport Commission. Does some great work. Uh, blah blah. It's reiterated this and and you know these things are good. We need them. It'll be good the day that we don't. Whatever. However, this paragraph. Well, this bit of a paragraph did um, catch me, this sentence. Yep. Furthermore, the Executive Board approved the applications of Gambia, Saudi Arabia and Timor-Leste as provisional FIH members. Now, that is right, folks. On, on, the, <laughs> on, the, same, on the same day that the FIH announced they have approved their review gender equality policy, they have announced that the Saudi Arabia have been approved as a provisional FIH member. I can't say anything about that. I think it speaks. I think they can be mutually. I think they can be mutually 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 exclusive. The two. I think they are. I would. I. I. I I would have thought in taste alone, just in good taste alone, you probably wouldn't have put in Saudi Arabia in that. Gender equality policy review release. Mate, does that not make sense? We're in a, we, you can leave some silence for thinking time. It will take me a long time to think about why. Wh- I mean, if if you cannot see what is wrong with that sentence and uh, and one particular country involved in that sentence, then. The whole policy should be torn up and thrown away because it's bloody useless. Hello, I'm Nick Irvin and you're listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Thank you, Nick. You can listen to Nick in uh, Studio Hockey's latest podcast with Ernst Bart. Great listen. Yep. Uh, Talking about a great listen, Mm -hmm. absolutely no response from our friends over at Hockey the Podcast, Tyron and Derek. Obviously, they've not listened to the last show. They have another podcast out. I'm not going to promote it, John, because it's rubbish. I assume, I assume, I assume, because they're South Africans talking to South Africans about hockey. (laughs) Why would anybody care about it? Nobody cares. We don't want to hear it. Stop publishing it. Nobody's listening. Is that Tyron Barnard? Yeah, and and, if you, Derek. and and if you like South African hockey podcasts, so fine, podcast? go and listen to them. Go and listen to Hockey the Podcast. Search it out. Yeah. Go and li- that's what just, you like. But there's something really ro- you should avoid it. Avoid Is it. That what you're don't do it. Just don't listen to it. Uh, rubbish. Absolute stuff. rubbish. 
Can anybody actually listen to what we say? Have you got the watchhockey.app? Uh, sorry, the watch.hockey app. <laughs> Four um, reminders in a row today. What did it say? Interviews are now available on watch.hockey oh, okay. uh, app. Oh, you know There what? will be some, some games. Uh, pro League games, isn't there? Okay, We've got Pro League okay. games coming. That's news. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, John. Billy's ready. No, Pro League games start tomorrow at yeah. the Wagner Stadium in Amstelveen. It's the Netherlands, I assume, because that's what they say every game involves. Um, are they every playing ga- the international game. Sorry? Are they playing in Germany? GB are there. Are you sure? And Could be Germany. G- oh, GBRGER. I'm not sure. Open it up, John, because you're on FIHProLeague.com. You know why I don't want to open it, Matt? Why not, John? Because I'm... I'm still. Can you suffering. open that FIH Pro League reaction time and see oh, if it's changed from the Netherlands? So posted on September 29. What's the date today, it's Matt? The 23rd of October. 23rd. Uh, uh, the FIH Hockey Pro League bounced back into action with two sparkling encounters between the men's and women's teams in Germany and the Netherlands. Yeah, still there. So they, that, that is them going to be playing this weekend? Oh, is it? I don't no, know. That, was that was a month ago, John. But they didn't play. What? No, but genuinely, what games are on? I don't know. You've got it there in front of you. Where? Click back. Oh, back. Yeah, click, click. Yeah, matches. Okay. Go to the matches. No, the Dixon's top. below. See, that's... Oh, it's fresh. That's a fresh article from with Adam Dixon. Dixon. It's Adam. Dixon. It's Dixon, Why? Adam. Right, so it's Dixon's on that article. The next one is, is Billy Backer, and it goes, Billy, ready. No, it goes, Backer, Billy. No, uh, that, no, that's the player link, so that thing links through to their profile oh. as a as a tag. Oh, you're, you're talking about the whole... Um, Sometimes they use the Christian name. Sometimes you, they use the the family name. Eva set for return to biggest hockey stage. Yeah. And Allison uh, takes a step back. Oh, yeah. Billy. Yeah. yeah Billy. And then there's and then, Dixon. But there's Dixon. And then a bit and, down and here, then it's Danson. Danson. Yeah. So the English are surnames. Then Mitchie. Mitchie. Yeah. I keep going there. Who else we got? Is this pedantic? Shane. Thomas looking to... Thomas Tom, and Tom. Shane. Well, I know. Yana. Yana. Oh, Turn Denoyer. Turn, only one who gets the full name. Oh. Reckoned you. See something? Keep going, keep going down. Keep going down there. Oh, Doc... Oh. Oh, hang on. Doctor... Uh, Mr. Doctor Badger. I missed that one. Uh, to Australia. Oh, <laughs> Argentina. Look. No. No. Anyway, it's obviously a recent thing. Oh, people say we're being pedantic, but you know, I don't get it. I no, think we no, need we to are. Go I think no, I think we are being pedantic. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. Um, got a retweet this week. Oh, the uh, podcast shout out. Kate Richardson Walsh is on Justin Morehouse's latest podcast. He's a UK stand-up comedian. Um, did a retweet on it. It was a great, great listen. Um. Justin retweeted it. He's got seventy-one thousand followers. John, we probably got we probably got two extra likes on on the tweet. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Justin. Uh, His daughter uh, Janet, she it's not a real name, but she plays hockey. Oh, good. Seems like a real competitor as well. More people should. If you know Janet, give her give her a shout out and tell her to listen to the reverse stick. Okay, listen to the reverse stick, Janet. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. Time for a feature interview. And this week we are joined by 
and Mr. Mark Agner, head coach of Dartmouth Field Hockey, Dartmouth College Field Hockey in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire in the United States. Super chat coming up. Yes. Hopefully, any questions you ever had about the U.S. college system, they're going to get answered right now. You're listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and it's feature interview time. We're absolutely delighted to welcome to the show this week Mr. Mark Egner, all the way from Hanover in New Hampshire in the United States. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, lads. Excited to have a bit of a chat. We're excited about it too, to discover what's going on in that part of the world. But as we always do when we start, do you want to say hello first, John? Oh, hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, John. Doing well. Just to make it look as though we've just rang up and started the conversation. (laughs) Haven't been talking for 25 minutes before. No, that's right. Um, what was I saying? Uh, you're introducing Mark. That's right. Mark. It's rolling along fine this episode, isn't it? We're going to, this is great, (laughs) great stuff. Um, so, Mark, you're in the States at the moment. As the listeners have obviously already heard, the accent maybe isn't your traditional stateside accent. Um, so you're over there for hockey purposes, but as we always like to find out on the show, let us know what your hockey history is and how you first got into the game. Absolutely. Um, I guess originally I'm from Ireland. Um, Cork, which is in the southwest of Ireland, is home for me, but over the years, my accent has changed kind of dramatically. I've always been one of those people who, as I move around, kind of picks up a bit of the accent of wherever I am, which, according to a stranger I met in the bus once, is a sign of musical talent, ah. which is what I'm clinging to now because there's no way that I can ever go back to whatever I sounded like as a child. But I grew up in Cork, um, and my parents moved when I was one to live where and my family home where it's still now because it was about a mile from my grandparents' house and about a half a mile from our hockey club. So I grew up playing for Cork Harlequins, um, which is one of the biggest clubs in Cork in the southwest, and it's where I think I made most of my memories as a child. And then when I was about three or four, one of my very first memories was my mom was helping coach our primary school hockey teams, but I was too young to participate. But I remember banging a ball against the fence while she was helping coach the team. So from ages four to 18, I played for Cork Harlequins, um, all up and down, you know, the youth section and into the adult section. And then when I was about 16, someone turned to me and said, right, it's time you start giving back. And I got into coaching a little bit within the club. And then when I was 18, I moved off to Dublin um, to go to college to study to be a primary school teacher. And I then switched clubs to play for a railway union. Um, my decision of what club to play for was heavily influenced, I guess, by having been at Harlequins for as long as I had, because Railway used to always come down and play against us in different tournaments, and a couple of the lads, the older guys in the club would be coaching them, and were always really generous and kind whenever they came down. And I remember looking at a map with my dad as he was helping me figure out where I was going to be living to go to college and where the club was, and pointing at, you know, different hockey pitches and I went, why wouldn't I go to this one? It looks a little bit closer. And the language out of my dad as to why I wouldn't go to that club was quite colorful. <laughs> but it meant that I ended up at a place that was a really cool community. So I played at Railway until I was about 22. Um, with a little gap in there, I went off and I played for Rathcar Hockey Club for a year. And um, so when I was 23, I moved to the U.S. 
don't know, sorry, I was 25 when I was CF, I think. So I moved over here seven years ago um, uh, to get into coaching. Initially, I worked at a university in Virginia called Longwood, which is in a small town called Farmville, Virginia. Um, and that was right at the peak of Farmville's um, power on Facebook. So there were a lot of jokes being made about me moving to Facebook because I was spending so much time there. And then after two years there, I moved across to the College of William and Mary, which was in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I worked there for five years. And then in um, March of this year, I made the move up here to Hanover to become the head coach at Dartmouth College. Um, I've been here for seven months, and I think in the last three weeks, I've probably coached about nine hours of hockey now, and that's oh, no. about all the hockey I've coached in the last 11 months. Jeez. So it's been a very different transition, but it's been a really cool journey. Um, throughout that time, I think I was really lucky to be in some great clubs where people where I realized just like how important the hockey community is and how special it is. And that's continued, you know, to really shape who I am, I guess, the whole way along. But I was never a player of great renown and didn't play for my country or for my region at any level other than um, when I got a little bit older playing in, we have a junior interpose, which is kind of for the people who aren't quite good enough to represent your region at the senior level. But uh, other than that, just been lucky to kind of travel the world a little bit with hockey and, meet some cool people along the way well Mark I'm going to ask you to stop talking now because we've got no more questions you've just covered everything so <laughs> thank, thanks so much for your time well it's been a pleasure lad <laughs> <laughs> let's take you back a little bit so you're t- talking about involvement and in those early days so, so dad was a hockey player mum was a hockey player even older my grandparents were hockey players so wow. if you walk into the club in um, Cork Harlequin they have one of these really old wooden boards where they would paint on the chairperson yep. and the president. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I think there's about four columns where in one year there's H.D. Egner, which was my granddad, and then the other there's D. Egner, which was my grandmother. And if one was in one job, the other was probably in the other job the following year. What, so about, the, what, what, it was, what about the four columns? Were they related to you? <laughs> oh, come on, come on! It's, you got to, it's an Irish name, John. Oh, Colin. Yeah, it's Colin. Colin. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it now. And then um, we used to have this vet festival for over thirty-five. And when my brother and I were were working in the bar, we'd always get asked to go out and help out. Yeah. And there was a game they played where my brother played, my dad played, and my granddad played oh, when he was probably about. 68 or something. The dream. Um, the dream. So, and dad is 66, still playing now, um, and still playing for the Masters and traveling the world with, with them. So it's very much the sport of the family, which has been a really cool thing. And dad's still at Cork Harlequins? Oh, sorry, the, the, you oh, moved as a family. He's obviously. a one-club yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> ah, good. Yeah. Well, what's great is you're, the, you're our second interviewee from Cork Harlequins. Do you know who else we spoke to? I don't. Do you know John? Yeah. Emma Buckley. Oh, of course, yeah. Way, oh, did you have Buckle on? Way, way back. Oh, Probably on, in man, our yeah. first sort of 50 shows or something like that, just as she... She been, hadn't played an international. No, she, she was, she was in, she'd something. been in the squad but hadn't played yeah. a full international at that stage. And now what she, she's in Belgium now, isn't she? I think so, yeah. Or well, certainly it was wasn't last year there. anyway. It's... Yeah, I'm not sure with, with COVID where she is, but she's been able to have a really cool career through hockey, which has been great to see. 
So, Mark, what led to the, the journey to the United States? How did that come about? Um, in a classic hockey fashion, I guess. I When I was about 18 or 19, I started doing some summer camps for sportways in Europe. Yep. And through that, I met a mate of mine, um, Stephen O'Keefe, who ended up coming to play at Railway with us. And then when we were approaching the summer, one year he goes, come on, me and a, a few of my mates from college are going to head over to America and go coach these summer camps. Do you want to come? And I was like, I have no plans for the summer. That'd be amazing. So I came over for a summer and I worked for a summer. Uh, I worked for a club over here for the summer, helping them run their summer camps. And it was called East Coast Field Hockey. So we just traveled all around Pennsylvania. And um, at the time, I had just finished my third year of college. I failed an exam. So I had to fly home early to go and reset my exam to graduate with my bachelor's and then be able to go on to pursue an honors degree in teaching. And uh, as I was in my last week, the guy who ran the summer camp kind of called me into his office and said, like, you know, you could do this as a job. And I was like, just happy to have had a, a summer in the sunshine. <laughs> so he introduced me to all these different websites where you could look into it. And then I went home and... I kind of was roped in to help coach our women's thirds. And over the next couple of years, I just got into doing so much coaching that I ended up um, meeting and kind of working with the, the underage national team coaches in Ireland. And through that, I met a lot of the underage players who were moving to America to go pursue sports scholarships. So it was always in the back of my mind that somebody had said to me, I might be able to do this as a job someday. And, um, I just kept in touch with the girls who moved to America and just kind of one, one year just started messaging them and saying, Hey, do you reckon any of your coaches would chat to me? And I got really lucky that, um, a lot of the girls that I had coached through Munster, which is our regional team or through the Irish under 18, um, were now playing at colleges that had expats on the coaching staff. So, uh, there was a guy called Ryan Elliott who was coaching at the University of Richmond, who was from Northern Ireland. So he and I hopped on Skype one day and we had a big chat and he just kind of gave me some advice and helped me tidy up my resume. And then a guy called Paul Caddy, who at the time was the assistant at the University of Connecticut and has just recently been promoted to the head coaching position there. And the two of them gave me a ton of advice. And then in 2013, I was walking into my school that I was working at and I got an email with a little alert saying that there was this job at Longwood University. And I just looked at it and it said that it was in Virginia. And I texted my friend, uh, Rebecca Barry, who um, was playing at the University of Richmond at the time. And I said, hey, do you know anything about this place? It says it's in Virginia. Like, that's where you are, isn't it? Yeah. That's how little I knew about America at the time. And it was just so happened that um, her one of her coaches, Ryan, was best friends with the head coach at Longwood Honey. and was able to put a good word in for me so that we had a hop on a Skype and we talked for about an hour or two. And then after that, I applied and got really lucky that he was kind of willing to take a risk on bringing in this guy who knew nothing about the system, and that's kind of how it all started. You mentioned a teaching degree there, Mark. How much has that influenced you as a as a coach? Is that some one of the reasons that sort of led you down the coaching path? Is that teaching background? I don't want to inflate anyone's ego too much, but when I was trying to decide what I wanted to study. I knew I wanted to be able to be around sport and to be around hockey. And um, 
I was kind of torn between doing primary school teaching and doing um, PE teaching. And at the time, Dave Passmore was coaching Harlequin. Uh-huh. Oh. And I knew that he had been a primary school teacher in England. So I was like, clearly there's a way to, you know, if I was to go and be a primary school teacher, I'd probably have enough time to keep hockey in my life. Um, and that was a part of it. <laughs> so oddly, I kind of pursued teaching because I knew I wanted to be in and around hockey. And then it definitely, like, well, when we were studying, it talked a lot about like student-centered approaches to learning. I did some of my kind of capstone projects on group work and on kind of being more of a cooperative teacher. And that definitely come into how I coach. But at the start, it was kind of, well, you know, we'll be finished by about half two in the afternoon and I'll be able to be out in the hockey pitch at some point, which would be great. And it ended up being something that I lean on quite a lot. It's been a bit mad, really. (laughs) I'm just wondering how much... Say you go off to a, a coaching course, because obviously you'd have to do get some sort of certificates and stuff like that. <laughs> the way it is, they do it online, mate. Now these days, yeah, but, do it uh, online. How, mu- how much of that when you when you got to these coaching courses? How much of, the, of those coaching courses was stuff that you went? Well, actually, I've been through a teaching degree. I get all of that already. I, I understand all that s- stuff that you're trying to teach me now. Um. A lot, to be fair. So when I was doing my initial coaching levels in Ireland, yeah. I would have been in my early 20s and just coming through the teaching training programs. So the bits of them that really hit me at the time were the things about like tactics and technique and the, the nuts and bolts of being able to explain hockey in a better way, the kind of creating of a learning environment and your role as a coach, as an educator, that was the stuff that seemed normal to me. And now I'm a coach educator for USA Field Hockey, and I've been lucky enough over the last few years to get to do a couple of the FIH coaching courses. And it's the um, like the stuff about being an effective educator is where coach education is going. And it's really interesting for me to be in those settings now because I am a coach educator in a lot of ways because of my background in education, because that's how I coach. And that's where coaching is going is to being more about um, what they call like athlete-centered coaching and empowering the athletes to make decisions. And that was what I was learning about when I was 18, 19 in terms of how to teach geography is to, you know, let the, the kids be a big part of where the lessons go. So it really has, been a tremendous boon in my coaching to be able to kind of draw on that but um, at the start I probably didn't even realize how lucky I was to have that grounding one of my friends um, we both did our level 2 together and I remember our coach educator at the time saying like I love watching this this mate of mine Rob like in this course because his questioning is fantastic and it's clear that he's a teacher and then when I did my level 3 in Peru last year at the Pan Am, um, Mike Joyce said something similar to me. He was like, oh, you're, you're obviously a teacher. And I was like, oh, he must have read my resume. <laughs> he must know that somehow. And he was like, no, it's just how many questions you use and like how you conduct yourself. So it definitely has helped. So at the moment, you're head coach at Dartmouth, Divi 1 Ivy League. What's this, the hockey scenario for you? right at this moment in these these difficult times that we're in? 
So um, I started here on the 1st of March, and about nine days later, I remember being in a staff meeting, and our athletics director saying that in his 30-something years in athletics administration, this was the biggest decision he'd ever faced, but that we weren't going to be playing sports in the spring. And I turned to someone, I went, this is day nine. What is my career going to be like as a head coach? So um, we went into shutdown just like the rest of the world. The students all went home for the spring and the summer. And then for the fall quarter, which we're in now, um, we Dartmouth has invited about 50 to 60% of the undergraduate population back to the area. So I currently have 13 players that I'm able to work with right now. Um, when we're out on the pitch, we have to maintain social distance. They're in two training pods that have to stay separate. They have to wear their masks. We're allowed up to two hours of contact with them a day. Ma- sorry, so ma- we're ma- together. Mas- masks on field? Masks on all the time. Right. So when we're out on the pitch, they've got, I have a mask on, they have a mask on. I have an electric whistle so that I don't have to put anything near my mouth. Don't, don't talk we need to John blow about whistle the for ele- any reason. Don't talk to John about electric whistles. <laughs> he thinks umpires are going to swallow him, Mark. <laughs> yeah. See, that's fake news, Mark. You should be used to that sort of stuff. I have uh, had to learn how to get a bit of a discerning ear when it comes to the press, all right. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, Sorry, so okay. we're out there for six days a week right now, and then we have, like I said, we have 13 that are here. And then we have seven more that are spread out around the U.S. So one of our girls is in Houston and Texas, one's in Pennsylvania. And then we have five of them who are in Hanover but weren't um, approved to train and to, to use on-campus facilities as part of Dartmouth's kind of measures to limit the use of the campus. Oh. So we meet as a team on Zoom three days a week. Um, so what we usually do is on a Monday, I'll introduce some sort of a, a bit of hockey that we're going to look at that week when we're out on the pitch. Then um, we'll be out on the pitch during our training sessions while the girls are running. Myself and my assistant will video ourselves kind of going through some of the technical work we're going to do. And then we send those videos to the girls who aren't allowed to train with us so that they can try it in their own spaces at home. Then on a Thursday, we bring in a guest speaker. We've had some really cool people come in and to talk to the girls, either people from the world of hockey or from the world of business. And then on a Sunday, two or three of the girls will present back to us their big learnings on that week's work uh, using footage from um, the NCAA, either from their own games from last year or from some of the games that are going on around the country right now. Because the ACC, which is one of the conferences over here, is playing, but the rest of us are all in a strange kind of just training-only world and what we're going through with only some people on campus and having to wear masks, that's just how Dartmouth is handling it. It could be very different. If I was to go two hours down the road to the nearest university, they could be in a totally different situation. It's very much on a campus-by-campus basis right now. So what would the expectation be in normal situation and then in a current situation for the amount of hours spent on hockey for players involved in the program? So when we're in the fall, so the, the American system and the American season is very different to the rest of the world. So usually the girls would come back at the kind of middle of August 
and our season would run until the um, about two weeks, in, two or three weeks into November, and that would be the full season. So in that period of time, you could have uh, most teams can have up to twenty regular season season games, and then they can have their playoffs after that. So that's all within about a, I think that's about a twelve to fourteen week period. So it's like very a, condensed. Sorry, seems like a great summer holiday for a hockey coach. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost as good as teaching. <laughs> hey, Mark. So during that, yeah, go on, go on. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I, I was just wondering, at at what point does what you're doing actually? Well, it's good to everybody to get together. How much? At what point do you get to? We've done as much in this forum as we can. We can do. Is there? Is there a limit to how long this Zoom stuff can go on before it actually isn't very effective from a coaching point of view? Yeah, I would say so. Um, right now, we're we're kind of we're getting. I think we're getting close to that point of there's only so much new stuff we can introduce without us being together. And um, so, what we do right now is. We're trying to really focus in those meetings on um, what are the lessons that sport can teach us that we can use in the real world or what, um, how well do we actually know each other? Because we have this kind of spread out team, we have a bunch of freshmen who are going to just join the team and don't know everybody. So being on Zoom is a nice place for them to meet the girls that aren't here. But me being on that Zoom with them probably detracts from the reality of that conversation you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. certain things you, you do and don't talk about in front of your coach yeah. but we are just like in a regular year we have more contact at this time of the year because this would be our season than we would be allowed to have in the other phases of the year so things are going to decrease in a, a couple of weeks where what we're doing right now will last until um i think it's the 16th of november and then the girls will be on they call it winter so they have their winter exam, their end of term exam, and then they'll be finished with school until January. So there'll be about a six week period there where there'll be no contact. And then we'll be limited to, I think, six total hours in the spring and, um, or winter and spring quarters, which is an Ivy League limitation. So there's a lot of different rules around kind of the number of hours of contact we can have and what those look like at different times of the year. But, Part of our meeting purpose right now is to continue to get to know each other and build healthy bonds because for them, some of our team still have, or have only met me in person once still um, because I started in March and then we were all sent home. And there's a bit of, we have to break down barriers and really get to know each other because that's incredibly important to me. But I think it also just means that they're going to, there's going to be more trust whenever we do get to play games again. Um, but it's it's a tough question to know what is right and what is not. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to kind of have clarification as to who's where for the next quarter. And then we're going to sit and talk as a team about what do we want this to look like in that phase because they might be able to take a more, um, a more challenging course load if they know they're not going to have as much of a demanding season or schedule with us which might mean that they can get ahead academically. Or they may say, you know what, I need to take a bit of a break from all of this. It's been a bit draining being on my computer all the time. 
And I think as a coach, you just have to be mindful of what everyone's reality is. Um, because I'm just delighted to be back out in the hockey pitch, but I'm in an era right now where results aren't a thing because we don't have games. So, you know, I don't have a record. Whereas for the girls, results are still a thing because they go to class and they have to take exams and they have to do well. And it might be tougher for them to get results now than it would be in a regular year because they're learning online and things are different. And that's not what they grew up learning how to do. So being mindful of that is part of the challenge. We had one of the girls had a, um, an exam the other night, and I knew that it was a pretty big one. So she arrived to training. I just said, look, do you want to be here or do you want to be at home? I'm okay with wherever you want to be. But I want you to be happy and to feel like prepared for what you have later this evening. So if you want to go home and study, you can. And I'm like, there's no hard feelings because that's important for you. And she decided she wanted to stay at training, which is wonderful. But I think it's important to be able to have those kinds of conversations, not just now all the time, but especially now. Uh, you mentioned two words there I'd like to delve into a little bit, Mark. Ivy League. I've, I've got my sweater tied around my neck. I've got my boat shoes on. Um, can you explain to <laughs> that, me? No, he hasn't. He's got to bring back the bully T-shirt on, and we'll get to that <laughs> later. Uh, good. Uh, well, I, that was the one thing I was really hoping we'd get to talk save to. It, bring save, the it, bully save it, save it, save it, save <laughs> it. Uh, back, back to the Ivy League. Um, can you explain to people what it is and, and how that college system is, is structured? Because it's not just Ivy League, I'm assuming, that plays in plays college hockey no so American sport in general when you get to the college age is overseen primarily um, so we have a national governing body over sport in colleges called the NCAA which is the National Collegiate Athletics Association and they oversee all the sports. So American football, baseball, softball, England basketball, field hockey, as they call it over here, ice hockey, all these different things. And then within that overarching framework, you have different divisions. So you have division one, division two, and division three. Now, whereas to a hockey person or to someone who comes from a club world like you and I do, you would think that there would be vertical movement between divisions, but divisions are, are a bit different over here. It's an indication of the investment in athletics and the availability of scholarships and a way to group people into um, competing with people who have the same means. So from a hockey standpoint, um, you have 300 and something hockey teams that play at the Division three level. I think somewhere in the region of 40 who play at the Division Two level and 79 or 78 or 79 at the Division One level. Um, now, that's a decision, first of all, that's made by the institution. It's not just the hockey team that will be Division One or Division Two. Um, the institution will decide that they are going to sponsor athletics at this particular level. Then each institution, once they've made their decision as to which division they're going to be, make the decision as to what conference they want to be a part of, and that is almost their, their league. So, um, Dartmouth is part of the Ivy League, which is um, a group of eight schools. So you have Dartmouth, Harvard, 
Columbia, Yale, Princeton, UPenn, Brown, and Cornell, which um, we compete against each other to try to win an Ivy League, uh, to become the Ivy League champions. So that's one aspect of our season. So that makes up seven of our games. The rest of the you, the rest of the NCAA Division One is split into other divisions. You have the ACC, the Big Ten, the um, the MAC, the CAA, the A10. There's all these different conferences, and everyone will play the other teams in their conference, but that will make up a chunk of their season. So those are what are called their their conference regular season games, and then you have your non-conference um, schedule. So each school can decide to make up the rest of their schedule of a lot of games by playing opponents that they just want to go and play. So that might be geographically the school is close to you. Or, for example, if we were to go and play in at the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League opponent, they're in Philadelphia. We might say, oh, well, we're not done here. We'll take up the game against another team from Philadelphia. So it might be that they're close to an opponent we're playing. But are there any ranking points in those additional games that are added on? There are. So you're competing all the time for two different things. You're competing for your league table position in your conference. Um, and that is to determine who is going to get kind of seeding in a lot of conferences into their conference tournament. Now, the Ivy League is different to a lot of conferences in that we don't have a... Um, a tournament at the end of the year. So winning the Ivy League is incredibly important for your hopes to get on into the NCAA tournament. Right. At the end of your regular season, if your team, if your conference has a tournament, you'll send a certain number of teams to your tournament to determine who wins your conference championship. And this is, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> and at the end of basically all of those games, there are 19 or 20 teams that are selected for the NCAA tournament. So those teams are picked. Initially, it's the conference winners, and then it's the teams with the highest, what's called RPI, which is a ratings performance index, which is where your non-conference games are going to be really important. If you play really strong teams and you win, then you're going to climb up the league table there and have a higher rating in that RPI. And you generally want to be in somewhere like the top 8 to 12 teams, to get what's called an at-large bid, which is, hey, we didn't win our conference, but we did really, really well. We're a really strong team. We're one of these top teams that should be in the tournament. And that one it took me about four I'm years assu- over assu- here to understand this. <laughs> I'm assuming these guys have been consulting with the FIH on ranking points. Well, <laughs> this, I, this situation reminds It's typical Americans, I'll say it. Um, you know the old urban myth about when the Americans went to space, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out how to make a pen work in zero gravity, and then when the Russians went to space, they took a pencil. Yeah. And it seems like this is very—it's <laughs> like that is the most convoluted arrangement I can think of. It is, but the challenge is that um, we have eighty teams in hockey, which is a small number relative to. Let's say basketball has hundreds of teams that are competing for you know a small number of positions in this end of year tournament. It's impossible for everybody to play everybody, um, and it's a way for everybody to potentially have a chance to make it to the tournament. Yeah, right. Um, it's it's tough. It's confusing. 
Um, but it means that every game matters. There's no game that you play that you're like, oh, we can we can lose this one and we'll be fine. But also, it's it's kind of like I know you kind of alluded to DFIH, but it's kind of like world ranking points for FIFA. You know, if you play a really tough game, you might get some points out of that because you're playing a tougher game than if you were to play the weakest team in the country. Um, and lose, you're going, that's going to hurt you a lot more than playing a really strong team in the country and losing. So it's a way to kind of get this idea of how good is everybody and can we make sure that most of the best teams are competing against each other at the end of the year for the national championship. Now, Mark, given, but, sorry, mate, given how, given how, um, equally amazing our sport is, What's going on with men's hockey in well, the US? Well, that's two things I want to know. Have you got a men's program, and are you playing at the moment? Yeah, you playing, yeah. So, lads, I haven't played hockey, I would say, in about six or seven years. So, since I moved to the US, it's been incredibly challenging to find places to play. Yeah. Played a little bit of indoor a couple of years, but that's about it. And then, um, so everything I just described is for women's hockey over here. The men's game is is very different um, because we don't have um, collegiate opportunities for people to play. It's not a sport that a lot of men get into early on. So it's just a very different system for men. And it's one that I don't have a ton of experience with. I know it's there's, there are kind of pockets around the U.S. where men do play. Um, so there's a big pocket in Moorpark in California. There's... Um, in Boston, in Massachusetts, there's a, there's a bunch of like adults who get together, and some men will get out and play there. Yeah, I think New York. Uh, one of the things that New York, was, there's a bit, isn't there? Yeah, Ride, uh, or a pretty good, pretty big club there. Absolutely. And then one of the things that's starting to happen now is that um, lads who are on the junior national team from you know, for America are starting to try to choose their college in a similar way to the girls who are trying to go to, go to college. And they're becoming what's called a practice player on the rosters of these different colleges. So um, you'll see where they, they'll come to training every day, they'll be a part of training sessions, but there'll be one, maybe two guys who do that on the women's team but don't get to play. Oh, wow. But they get the opportunity to, to train with them, to use the strength and conditioning facilities, to... Okay you know, learn about the game of hockey from a new angle. And it's kind of beneficial for, for both, but it's not, um, we haven't reached the stage of, of gender parity over here yet. Um, but it is something that I think everyone would love to see because I think it would be massive for the men's game over here. A couple of quick questions around, you mentioned before investment in, in the sport and, and different colleges choosing to support different sports potentially. And I've got, Two questions from patrons here, and they, they kind of tie in. One is re- with regard to um, the effect on income falls towards uh, football and maybe some of the more the bigger college programs, um, and has that and is that affecting hockey? And we've seen some programs that have been scrapped and some pretty high-profile uh, GoFundMe campaigns for, for colleges over there to retain it some pretty significant hockey programs and some, some long-standing programs. Maybe talk about that first. Sure. Um, so there's a couple of bits, I guess, to this. Um, what we're seeing through the last couple of months is that COVID has kind of 
forced universities to look at their offerings of sports. And um, we saw recently um, some universities make choices to, to cut certain sports, which isn't a very easy decision for the institutions to make. And from a, like from a, a hockey point of view, it hurts every time that it happens. So I've been in America for seven years, and I think nearly every year I've seen a program get cut early on. I saw Radford University in Virginia lose their program. Um, and then every year I think I've seen one program be cut and almost one program get added. So the hope from our standpoint is that we see more and more Division One teams because that means that the, the sport feels safer, there's more opportunities for people to play. Um, but it is a tough thing to... Um, to keep going in some, some places. And I think geography plays a big factor in that. And over the last couple of years, we have gone from there being four teams on the West Coast down to there being two teams on the West Coast now, which means that it becomes more challenging for teams to, to play each other. And, and there's more travel involved with getting from California into either into the, the Midwest or over to the East Coast to play some of those games and that was probably a factor in some of the decisions that have happened lately um, but every athletics department is financed differently um, at some um, schools the potential for revenue that's generated from ticket sales and sponsorships from their high revenue sports which would be the football basketball and then depending on the school maybe men's lacrosse um, softball, all these different sports that maybe can draw a huge crowd. Um, there's a, an, an income source. Yeah. With us having lost the March Madness basketball tournament last year, that was a huge loss of income for most athletics departments. And then the loss of earnings from NCAA football not taking place this year, that's causing... Um, athletics departments to look at kind of their financial structures and see what they do and don't think will work. Um, and then that's forcing some really tough decisions that have hit a number of schools that are very close to me, not with their, not with their hockey programs, but with other sports. And it's just something you wouldn't wish on anybody because what happens then is the students have made a choice that they want to go to that university because that's where they want to get a degree from and they want to play hockey. And then a big piece of their rationale for attending the school is taken away. Yeah. But then they have to make a decision. Do I stay at the school and finish out my four years? Or do I go and finish out what could for them be their whole playing career? Because there's not a lot of opportunity for people to play post-graduation. So it forces another tough decision during what's a pretty tough time in the world right now already. And despite it all being amateur at the so-called college level, you know, Sports like hockey are competing, as you say, against things like the NFL. And I'm, I'm sure the athletes, even though they're amateur on the NFL side of things, I bet they've got a whole lot better washing machines and cars than the uh, hockey players get. <laughs> so there's definitely good support um, across the college setup. But um, I think you'll see in a lot of schools, like you said, the, the, the level of, um, of support will be different, you know, whether it's the number of pairs of shoes you're given when you, you come in at the start of the year or the kind of bus you travel on when you go to games or whether you take commercial or um, chartered flights to get to games. Oh. And all of those things impact 
you know, the, the quality of experience everybody has and, you know, impact the schools that people choose. But I haven't been in a place yet where I have experienced the, um, the lap of luxury when it comes to those things. <laughs> it leads nicely in, Mark, to an- another question that we've got through. And, and, and this question does respect the, the, the standards of support is good, like strength, strength and conditioning and, and facilities and all that sort of, sort of stuff. But, uh, makes the makes the point that perhaps the standard isn't there um, as expected maybe from some players that go from overseas and hoping to improve their hockey to then take it back to their country there's obviously a, a you know a fair level of recruitment that have happens um, so the one question in here is how how do you ensure the quality and longevity of that recruitment process in gathering players from overseas if the standard isn't quite as high as is required for maybe, you know, junior international players and the like that are, uh, are on the up. So I think that there's kind of two sides to this conversation. Um, and I think both people have to be really honest with what they're looking for and what they want. Um, there are, like I said, 79 division one teams. Now I don't think I could go to any country in the world and tell you that the 79th best team is a high standard of hockey. So when people look at the women's game, (laughs) just off the top of my head, when people go to, um, when people go to, to look into going to play in the U S and to look into pursuing, um, athletic scholarship, I think they have to have a realistic understanding of where each team sits and then look at what are the prospects that that's actually going to change during their four year process there. And, And that would be the same with, if you were moving, to Sydney, you know, you'd look at, okay, well, who's, who are the good teams here? Am I going to break into one of the good teams? Now, because we look at America as a country, people tend to look at American hockey as, as a, a single entity. But you wouldn't look at moving from Western Australia to the Northern Territory and think, man, I'm going to get way better hockey if I'm playing in Darwin. No, you You definitely wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because you have the contextual understanding and I think that that's lacking when people are making those choices as to where to go which then sees people come in thinking man I'm going to have a great experience here and they get there and they're like wow this is not what I thought I was getting so there's a level of honesty that's needed and a level of research because you're looking not just to get a great education but to play some good hockey as well Well, can there be an an oversell from, from colleges though? Oh absolutely and that's where I think the People need to do their, their own research and not just believe the, the people in my seat. I mean, when I talk to recruits, I'll tell them the truth, which is that over the last couple of years, our program hasn't performed as well as maybe we would like it to have. Um, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. Now, I'll explain what my background is as a coach and how I think I can help them achieve their goals. And then it's up to them whether or not they believe that I'm the right person for them to develop and, and to grow under. I'm not going to, like, at no point in the process can I handcuff them to the radiator and say, no, you have to stay here. <laughs> so they have to want to be here. Yeah. Um, and then I think on the other side of it, the coaches have to live up to their end of the bargain. Um, they have to invest in the players that they recruit and, the, and then develop the players that they are recruiting. So in a lot of ways, there are parallels with um, professional sport when you see um, – I don't know if you watch premiership in football, like 
they go out and they buy the most expensive players that they can. So they get in the best players that they have available. But are those players any better two or three years down the stretch? Or is the team just better because they have better players? And I think coaches have a responsibility in this core or key age bracket of 18 to 22 to really develop their players so that they are graduating and able to go on and have a better hockey life afterwards. And that's something that's incredibly important to me. But in much the same way that you lads woke up this morning and you made decisions as to what clothes to put on and you make different choices, each coach that you interact with in your recruiting process is going to have a different motivation for why they do it. So I think it's important to have those conversations and to say, hey, I want to be, I want to come for four years, I want to play for four years, and I want to leave. And my hockey, my hockey goals are to do these things. How are you going to help me get there? Because this is about creating an environment where you're going to flourish and where the team's going to flourish. So having a clarity and a similarity of goals when you go into that conversation is incredibly important. So where do I sign up? Oh, sure. sorry, sorry, um, sorry. Oh, I just lost it. <laughs> so Mark, just. Just for clarity on when you talk about teams, and you're obviously talking about the the, the individual teams from college. But as, as as an individual college, you've just got the one team. Do you have any sort of age group variance, or or is is it for your whole three or four or five years that you're studying? That's the team. So you've got a mix of maybe somebody from 23 down to 18, or whatever it might be. So um, most NCAA programs will have one what they call a varsity team, yeah. which would be the team that people get recruited to come in to join. And that would be your, kind of your high performance team. So in a club setup, that would be your one. Yeah. Now we don't have a twos or a threes or any of those kind of things, but there is also more of a social version of sports offered within the collegiate setup, which is, they call it club sports. And that's for anybody who's interested in trying out hockey or, you know, playing a little bit because they used to play in school and they don't want to fully give up on the sport, but they weren't at a standard that would get them recruited to play at this level. So the team of players that I work with are freshmen through sophomores, and they've all been um, recruited to come and join the team, or potentially they have had an opportunity to try out and been successful. But there is also, I believe, a club team on, at Dartmouth, and there's been a club team at every school I've worked at, that has nothing to do with the teams that I work with, but that people can go and play if they want. And who do they play against? So they, they'll do the same thing. They play against club teams from other colleges. So they'll have play days where they'll all go to, um, you know, four or five schools who get together and they'll play a mini tournament. They might play seven aside. They might play 11 aside. It'll just depend on kind of what the setup of that tournament is, but that would be a lot more like, university sport the rest of the world it's student run um, student organized with support from the campus recreation department and um, whereas what we do has full-time coaching staff you know a an operating budget to help um, with the logistical side of things um, but there are opportunities for people to play if they so desire and one of the things I've seen is that like um, people from overseas do a study abroad and they, you know, they go on an exchange program and they end up at one of the colleges that doesn't have a varsity field hockey program. So they end up playing a bit of club hockey just for a bit of fun, but it's nowhere near the standard that they were thinking about when they went to America because it's, it's not the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mark, I've got to say, I've been absolutely fascinated, and hopefully the listeners have as well, because I think you filled in some real gaps yeah. in the knowledge for what the setup is um, in the States. Taking it in a slightly different direction, and going back to your um, uh, your club in Dublin there for, for a few years, the Rail, uh, Railway Union, can you tell us anything about the Railway, railway Children? Railway <laughs> <laughs> Children? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a children's book. Yeah. I don't know that it has anything to do with, <laughs> with so Railway Union. You've got, you've got no re- recollection about a supporters group or anything like that with, called the Railway Children? Of, of, somebody sent me um, a red herring here from, from, a, from Ireland? I do remember at one point someone finding a, a, the children's book and taking a photo of it and putting it on Facebook and tagging us all in it. Um, but I don't, I don't have any more recollection. That, well, that, that. That, that could be somebody from okay. a rival. That could be somebody from a rival club. Stitch like, up number like, one. Do we give that like a like, um, like a club like Three Rock? And I understand also <laughs> there's something about. Um, does the name Flora ring a bell? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, back in um, uh, back in the, the 2010s, we had a really um, really successful patch with the women's side of, at Railway and they were quite a strong group. They had um, a number of current internationals on the team and then they had a really strong coaching staff and it was a really cool team to watch. And at the time, our men's club were doing a little bit worse. We were, um, the women were competing for national like, cups and leagues and stuff and the men's team were trying to get themselves back up into kind of the top tier. So we'd all go out and we'd watch the women play a lot. And Railway's colours were green and yellow. And one of the women or someone in the club bought a frog costume as um, uh, a mascot for the team. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was called Floor of the, Flo- Floor of the Frog. <laughs> and as we got closer and closer to cup final weekends and stuff, people weren't always available to, to wear it. Oh, so... Yeah. Um, I actually met Jamie Dwyer while wearing the floor of the, fro- the frog costume. Oh, yeah, up I, at remember, Russell, I remember one meeting year. you, Mark. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, in Ireland, there's um, a, a little chocolate bar called Freddo's Frog. Yes, yeah, yeah, we get them here as well. We get a Freddo, yeah. So we used to have the person who was wearing the floor of the frog, this is a lot of F, um, <laughs> costume, would throw out those Freddo bars during games. <laughs> I believe but, um, Fredo is actually. That was not show. something I had remembered. Well, I'm glad we took you down. I mean, look, I'm 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 an ex mascot magpie wearer myself, and uh, yeah. I was I was. You did some good work I, in the I magpie costume. Very good work. Very good. My my favourite was uh, when we were playing against a team called well, with the nickname of the Panthers in a grand final, and I took balls of wool down to throw them at the at the cat. Uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's a thinker. Oh, that's fantastic. He's a thinker, Mark. He's a thinker. No, okay, hey, Mark. I, I believe you. You're, you're good at celebrations too, as well. Is that right? Oh, don't. We were going to share. Them. Who we, is sending you all this? We got stuff. <laughs> well, the great thing is, Mark. I sent out a, a video from um, to four or five people on a couple of groups this week. There were celebrations from a hockey club called the Ride Panthers. In fact, the Tom Craig's home yeah. club, who was interviewed a couple of weeks ago on the show, and. It was a celebration goal at the end of their grand final, and um, their goalkeeper had, had, had 
stop stop this guy from scoring on the shootout. The team all gathered round, big huddle. One poor fella jumps in at the back end, puts two hands in the air. Nobody cuddles him, and he hits the deck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I literally just sent it to somebody today. And then I got sent through a video this afternoon, well, this, this evening, of somebody in a green shirt doing something very similar on a pitch in Ireland. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost identical, but on the on the on the other side of the group. Beautiful. Um, At least in that, in the one you described, he, he jumped. I think in the one you're you're referencing, could <laughs> just say slow down, fall over kind of motion. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't too much air involved, was there? <laughs> No, there really wasn't. All the air that was involved was taken out of my lungs. That was all that happened. <laughs> now, Mark, we're going to have to let you go in just a moment because we have got a jeez, we've got a bloody podcast to record here, John. Um, bring back the bring back, more. Let's go. <laughs> bring back the bully. Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it has to come back. Christmas cards. There he goes. There's more coming there's up. There's nothing. The show. I l- We've been we've been challenged by um, Katie Dunn from FH Empires. There'll be a few choice words to be said a bit later on in the show, but sorry, please do carry on, Mark. I, I just think there's nothing better than a contested bully. I mean, yes. it's the, the, the moments in a game when the umpire makes that motion that everyone just that, that that was one of the things we would we would cry out for when I was watching games back in Yeah, I was chatting to someone the other day about how great it would be if. The game started with a bully, but you could orient yourselves wherever you felt like at the start of the game. What would that do to the game? It would be more like um, more like basketball. Exactly. But I think that might be a little bit extreme. No, no <laughs> that's, a, that's a bloody great in, idea. In, in Australia with Australian Rules Football, they have a, a bounce down. There's much controversy about the bounce down. What about how, it, how it's conducted? Yeah, because some umpires are, are it, crap at it. It is actually a great moment in a game because it's like... You, at the start of the game, the two teams lined up, and there's the two ruckmen on either and side. And it's unique to the it game. It's a unique selling unique. point, just like the bully is for us. We don't have to sell that to you, Mark. You've already we've already got a tick in the, on the list from you. Just bring it back, lads. I mean, don't even ask anyone. Just just stop bringing it back. Next time you speak to Mike Joyce, just mention yeah, it. Yeah, Joycey, <laughs> bring back the bully. <laughs> he knows people. Mark, what a pleasure. <laughs> Likewise, lad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us, sir. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, good luck with your endeavours. Hopefully you can get something beyond the socially distanced training soon. And, uh, yeah, good luck with all your journeys in the States. Thanks, lad. And stay uh, safe. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and that was Mr. Mark Egner. Fantastic having a chat to him. Um, even better in the half an hour we chatted to him <laughs> after we finished that interview. No, he was a, a good fella to talk to and um, really insightful from my perspective. I got a lot out of that. And I'll, I'll never give up my sources. <laughs> you might be copping a few messages over the next few days and just poking your seat if you can get it out um, yeah it was great chatting with Mark and shedding light on some of those the issues faced uh, by athletes in the US and there seems to be a big nexus too between the Irish going to the US with hockey do you think so? It, it, like we seem to talk to a lot of people involved in American hockey that... No, I don't think... I, 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 think, I, think, it's att- I think it's attractive for 
people from all over the world to to go there and get yeah. involved. There's girls from, from young women from our club that oh, okay. have, have um, taken up programs and, okay. and and gone over there over the years. It'll be interesting. It will be interesting to see how it <laughs> evolves. Um, what, what more have you got now, mate? Oh, I'm just trying to find a bit of beef on here at the moment. I'm just scrolling through my... Um, well, you just have to excuse me while I do get that beer, mate. Because, you know, Friday night and all. Yeah. Go for it. Have a white can, though. Leave the, leave the red stubby for me, please, if you don't mind. I will. Um, I've got, I'm going to have to navigate to a website, I think, for this. It's, um, <clears throat> I was shocked in the week, John. We asked for some beef. I was, um, and I, I was don't... shocked at your, our unprofessionalism in the last three minutes. But anyway, Were go you? on. Really? Uh, nah. nah, I doubt you were at home either. Um, Someone's being a bit of a chancer, John. Yes. Someone we thought was a friend of ours. Ready to go toe-to-toe with a bully? Come at me, bro. In this Rulu Tuesday. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. What's this rubbish coming up now? Sounds like crap house music. Yeah, it's that. Hey, friends. I'm Keely Donna Pepe. John Fires, And I am delighted to be with you, the ridiculously good-looking 13. Well, thanks very much. hot take on another rule in the book. Do on Pyrocation. One of the least common methods of restarting play and target of a super weird, long-standing obsession by my friends Matt and John over at the Eggs. Wrong. Is the bully. When would you call a bully? How do you conduct one? What conventions exist outside of the rules in regards to their conduct? What do you know and about the history of the game? Why are bullies for losers? Losers? Yeah, huh? you heard me. It's a unique bullies selling suck. point. No, you're is rubbish. Like you suck. The bully is all up in the face of rule 6.5. Be up in your face, you're rubbish. You call yourself an umpire. We're not talking about rule 6.5. Who cares about that rule? Stopped. For Ooh, an injury, or for any other reason, Oki no one, penalty has been awarded. Two, three. Clauses, then Off we go. Everybody Eight. loves it. A bully is taken Everybody doesn't know the game, knows what the bloody stopped, bully is. But not within Oki one, Oki two, Oki three. And Sorry. not within five meters. Mm. Mm. The hey, let's face it. The last person you ask about the rules is the umpire. We, that we have years of experience of right knowing the that the umpires don't know the rules. Well, obviously they don't. And pointing it out to them. Well, no, the issue, the issue is, is they don't know the answer and they have to go and ask somebody else. What, what, what makes them think the other person knows any more about the game than they do? I've already told them. Well, I've already told them what's happened. Why would they contest it? She's still talking. I know it's football, but it's hilarious. Oh, Maybe talking about the foot, the huh? There's another issue in the oh, game. Acted by all the cute to possibly continue. Shot off on target, and there's a dog on the pitch. There's something you don't yeah. see every day. Well, we can, can't say that about all umpires, but some of them. <laughs> What's it got to do with a bully? Wow. And this is An where Kaylee's head's at, obviously. Often enough. Although here, a free but to be fair, she's from Canada as well. What the hell do they know about well, field, can't field hockey? Sirens because here, of the oh, moose. Yeah. Yeah. In order to keep the players safe, a bully was needed to stop play. When the attacking team, the chop chop does look ball, really good. The, umpire makes the actual signal for a for a bully is probably the best signal in hockey. And oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, if you could just make a noise with it. What what noise would you make, John, with doing the like the chop chop of the the body? Sorry, Kitty, can you keep it down? Give us a noise. 
Oh, it's a lot taking space at you. Oh, like a lightsaber. Yeah. Um, you don't tap them once, Keely. You tap it three times. Tap once is a modern invention of the game. She just doesn't understand. Another situation where bullying can be needed is when an umpire awards a stop play penalty, such as a penalty corner, a penalty stroke. And then, upon further reflection, realizes that no foul. And they got it wrong to start with. Yeah, got it wrong. Keep your whistle in your pocket, not down your throat, like those electric ones. In this case, the teams get set up the same way, despite one defender's rather stubborn insistence that the ball be taken on the 23-meter yeah. line, which it doesn't. Oh, stubborn resistance. However, these teams Tom, then go on to follow no, the common convention no. that we've seen in some other sport. It's there's a ball and there's a pitch and. I don't know. You guys probably know better than me. Is it rugby? But the convention dictates that the team who didn't have possession of the ball the rugby at the time that play was stopped hits it back to the team who did. Table tennis. They hit it far enough yeah, it that back. the team who didn't have possession of the ball isn't put under immediate pressure, but they don't hit it so far track, that the yeah. other team has to go run after it or put it out of bounds because if they did, that would be super. Out of bounds. Behavior. That's a rugby what term as well, isn't it? What we're witnessing here is the opposite so. of a free hit. It's a constraint hit. Uh, constrained hit. Give a bully. The best bully taker bully. I ever saw would well, oh. on uh, on the tap Here we go. already be moving her stick downwards towards the ball. So this is pretty limited experience. Instead of looking to touch her opponent's stick at the apex of the movement, obviously she yeah, gave side side or two on her opponent in a way that felt unfair. She wants to destroy skill. All in the rules requiring wants to take skill out of the game. The That's all I'm hearing. Here's another one. Oh, what's there we a go. And what's a stick obstruction? <sighs> what is it? Where go on, tell us. Between a fair striking of the stick and interference. Oh, huh? it's what not that hard. Does it need to be audible? If it's tactile, how can an umpire tell? Do we wait for Use one your eyes. to tell on the other one for not touching their stick? Listen. How over the ball is over? How did people Why do it for a hundred so years, man? When nobody actually did anything wrong. We don't know and we don't care. Because 99 times out well, of 100... Wow. The there you go. That's the problem. Umpires don't bloody care. And that, they, they, you've just said it now. The biggest advocate for hockey umpires in the world doesn't care. Doesn't care. They don't no. care. It's just said the umpires don't care. Don't care. See, the other side of it is we're being totally misrepresented here. Totally and absolutely... And have you ever noticed how many umpires are lawyers? And like this video right now because incredibly, we are absolutely having our position misrepresented, Your Honour. Yeah. And do the things that FH umpires or whatever if you want to learn. It's like being invited to the cool kids' table where the cheerleaders and football players. If you want to learn how to denigrate the history of our bloody game, just. It's our unique selling point, John. I don't, I just, I, I don't understand how people can get away with this sort of stuff. Well, the game is for the players, Matt, not for the umpires. This is Pumele Lambande, captain of the champion Blyde River Bunters, and you are listening to the Reverse Stick Global Hockey Podcast. I was going to sign out then, uh, press the wrong button. You 
pull the fader down. That's how you do that one. Yeah, no, that's all right. That's all good. We won't do Dear John. It's, this is, geez, we're going on this week, aren't we? Um, I hope you enjoyed yeah, it. It's... Double Dear John next week. Okay. Double, uh, we'll talk about the Malawi pitch from the Negre Foundation. We'll talk about. What, 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 we? what else are we talk about? We'll talk about results from Pro League, obviously, next week. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll thank, uh, oh, Matt, Mick, Jason, Reese, boys on the, the beer tour at the weekend. Coming back, they're the ones from last oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Bucks Day. Good luck, Matt, in three weeks' time. <laughs> Just chuck <laughs> that in there. Oh, we might mention, um, hockey equipment too next week. Well, we've got, we've got the research done already. We did, didn't yeah. expect the conversation to go quite so long with Mark, did we? No. Um, we I hope Mark was more interesting than the hockey equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, yeah, margin. Hey, did you know there's new regulations? What? Hockey five boards. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Uh, are we talking foam? Are we talking rubber? We might be talking foam, rubbery type substances. Oh, dear. I well, know that thrills you in. Well, no, I'm looking forward to uh, John Lee Eco Warriors' um, response on all of that and the materials that are involved. Oh, look, yeah, I'll be right under that. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, thanks for joining us for episode 167. Do follow us on the socials, all at the reverse stick. Head on to things like iTunes and Podchaser. Leave us a review. Just click that fifth star on the right. We'd appreciate it. If you need to send us a message, send an email to Matt or John at net. We love you all and we love hockey. Good night. You playing Tuesday night? Tuesday. Monday. Tuesday. Thursday. I might have a run Tuesday night. Gotta hone my five skills. World Cup coming up. Great live streams coming up this weekend, John. Just head to at the Hockey Live for all your links for the English, German and Australian games that are happening. But don't try and get your eyes on this new Rick Charlesworth classic here in Western Australia because it's Ooh. behind a paywall on the West uh, local, the local newspaper. Apparently, some exciting ha- hockey happening with local stars, top international coaches... But you've got to go down to the ground to go and watch it, John. And at a time it's where free. there is... It's free to It's go. free, but at a time when there is very little live hockey happening around the world because of current restrictions, why would you stick it behind a bloody paywall on lo- oh. at, at a high price for a local newspaper? I do think it does say something along the lines of... Uh, no one knew anything about the Watch Hockey app coming out outside of those right in the inner circle of the FIH. Don't worry. It'll because, uh, organic growth. Thought, organic growth, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, they missed the boat there because contracts are signed, aren't they? I would assume contracts are signed. <laughs> Just uh, shake your head sometimes. Bye.